We have two scripture readings this morning. The first is taken from Acts 17, and you'll find that on page 1113. So page 1113. This morning we are looking at how the gospel came to the city of Thessalonica, and Acts 16 or 17 tells us the background to that before we read 1 Thessalonians. Acts 17, reading from verse 1. When Paul and Silas had passed through Apophilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. And then our second reading, if you want to turn over to page 1,186, 1,186, you'll find 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything more about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And may the Lord bless his word to us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day, one in which we can see so clearly your glory in all your creation. 
Father, as we feel the heat on our faces and listen to the birds in the air, we remember those from our congregation who feel that they're unable to enjoy such a time, maybe due to sickness or, or other circumstances. Father, we pray that you would draw near to our sick. Lord, we pray that they would know your peace and comfort as they journey through a difficult time. May your word give them strength when their bodies feel weak. And may your truth restore hope in the midst of the struggle. And Lord, we lift up to you now our mission partners also. We think of Helen and Simone and many others who so faithfully serve you in different countries and on our own streets at home as well. Lord, empower and equip them with all that they need. May they serve you with a boldness. May they live Christ-filled lives that are infectious to those around them. And may they know again a deep desire and burden for the people to which you have sent them. And Lord, closer to home, we pray for our young people who are fast approaching exam season. Lord, we know that this can be a stressful time. So Father, we pray that they would know your closeness over this season. We ask that you will give them the energy and the focus that they need to do the best that they can. And Lord, you're such a generous God. And you've blessed our young people with so many gifts and talents. May, you, may they glorify you with them, Lord. May they glorify you in their studies also. And may we and all our young people know that our purpose does not change no matter what our circumstances. For we were made by you and we were made for you. We pray all of this in your holy name. Amen. Well, please take a, a pew Bible and turn with me to page 1186. Let me just give you a moment to do that. First Thessalonians chapter 1. So page 1186. Father, we're in need of your word today. We're in need of that life-giving spirit to help us understand it and apply it to our lives. Father, our prayer this morning is that we would see Jesus and his good news in this passage of Scripture. We pray that, Lord, it will make us confident again in the good news of him who died for us and the one who we wait from heaven to return. Father, be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When you think about people or things that are powerful, what comes to mind for you? Perhaps comes into your mind are some church leaders like Putin or Trump or even Kim Jong-un from North Korea. They're pretty powerful, aren't they? Or maybe your thoughts about inventors like the late, late uh, Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg. Or is powerful those who possess nuclear weapons or arsenals which can cause fear and destruction? What makes somebody powerful? What is powerful oftentimes in your mind? And this morning as we come to 1 Thessalonians, the big question about this passage to ask yourself is, how powerful is the gospel? Can it really change people? And if it does, what does it look like? Because here in 1 Thessalonians, we have a powerful example of the gospel making inroads into people's lives and what it looks like today. This letter by Paul that we have in our hands is a truly amazing reminder of the power of the gospel. We know that Thessalonica was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia, modern-day Turkey. It had a harbor, 
It was situated on a busy trade route, so it had people coming and going from commerce, philosophy, money coming into it. It had a sizable Jewish population, but predominantly it was a Greco-Roman city in culture and lifestyle. It had the pantheon, the imperial cult that was worshipped there. And into this bustling, vibrant, pagan, idol-worshipping city and people, Paul comes with the good news of Jesus. How powerful is it? It's even remarkable, as we looked at Acts 17, how Paul got there. Because it's a remarkable story. Paul and his companions weren't going to go to Thessalonica. But we're told in the scriptures in Acts 16, if you look it up later, that the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go in the direction they wanted to go. Instead, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul and his companions were going to Bithynia. The Spirit of God comes in a vision to Paul and tells him, go to Macedonia. Paul concluded this God-given vision that Paul had, had been given by God, and he was there to preach to them. And that's exactly what Paul and his companions did. They arrive in the city, and as Acts 17 told us, if you picked up on it, it informs us that Paul had a custom. When he came to a new place, he went into a synagogue, and there he reasoned with the people from Scripture, probably the Old Testament. And he explained and he proved from the Scriptures that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And so some Jews, some Greeks, and not a few prominent women were persuaded and so was born a very young new church in the city of Thessalonica. And Paul only spends a few more weeks with them, and then he departs. And then he never returns, but he sends Timothy to see how they're getting on. And this morning, as we begin this sermon series in 1 Thessalonians, I want to look at these opening 10 verses this morning and follow with me under the first heading. The first is this. They are brought together by being in him. Did you pick it up? The opening verse of chapter 1 is a typical opening to a Pauline letter. It tells us who it's from, Paul and Silas and Timothy, the team as it were. It says who the letter is addressed to, to the church in Thessalonica, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here were believers. The church had been newly created, established, and it was in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word in captures the meaning of being rooted in, drawing its life from. And that's what this local church was. It was brought together because of being in God. Have a think about that for a moment. It wasn't that they were brought together because of the same likes and dislikes. It wasn't that they were brought together because of the same, same cultural background or sound the same or come from the same schools or same socioeconomic background. No. What brought this church together was that it was united, brought together in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It was there that they were founded, rooted, established, drawing its life source from being in God. That's what the gospel does. And then he says, grace and peace to you at the end of it. Folks, have a look around the church today. Look from across from the balcony, across the other things. This is not normal. God brings through the power of the gospel people like you and I together. What have we got in common? Maybe we went to a few schools together. But you know what the gospel is powerful to do? It brings people from different backgrounds, social backgrounds. Some who've never been to school, some who have. 
some who have likes that I hate, others like Ulster Rugby, um, others that like, especially after last night, but it was a great win. But like that, and you think, what brings people like this together? And people come into the church and they often think, what would bring all these people together? Surely they're all Presbyterian. But no, God in this verse clearly says, and don't miss it, he says to the church in Thessalonians, in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the unity. That is what brings them together. That is what brings a motley crew like us into the relationships together. But then we see in verses 2, the next point is that there's thankfulness and prayer in verses 2. Paul in verses 2 and 3 is thankful to God and he prays for them. He says, I'm thankful to God for you. How do you find being thankful? Are you the type of person who's thankful for everything? Maybe one of those smiley, always thankful personalities. Or are you one of those people that maybe struggles with it because you always think of the issue or the problem or the worry or the concern coming down the road and so it's hard to be thankful. And what Paul does here is he adds thankfulness and prayer together. He links them. And in then when we do that, the reality is that sometimes we're not very good at it. We're not good at linking these two things of prayer and thankfulness, and yet that is what the gospel does. We find it in verse 2, there is an exuberant thankfulness in Paul's prayer for these new believers in Jesus Christ. Paul tells them he's thankful for them. That sounds an alien concept to most of us, that you would say, I'm thankful to God for you. And do you see it there in verse 2? We always thank God for you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father. Paul, who preached and explained and proved that Christ was the suffering Messiah to these people, is also thankful for what God is doing. He remembers them. He prays repeatedly, continually. What a challenge that is to us, that we so often forget to pray for others, let alone be thankful to God for them. And, and uh, Gillian, thanks for this morning, because this morning, what happened in front with our children is cultivating a thankfulness with prayer. And perhaps this type of prayer cultivating, the starting point is by giving thanks for your wife or your husband, for your family or friends, your home group, for those that you sit with every Sunday. Lord, thank you for them. Thank you for the work that you're doing in them. Because this is what Paul does off the back of the gospel. Paul's thankfulness then is based off three things that are evident in these believers. Faith, love, and hope. Do you see it in verse 3? These are, as John Stott said, all outward focused. Faith towards God, love towards others, and then hope towards the future, what is to come. And these young followers of God, they were displaying faith which produced works. Their faith in God was not invisible. It was not a faith which cannot be seen, but rather it was the opposite. It was producing works. They were, in the words of James' epistles, a faith which showed that it was real and alive by its works. They were love prompted to labor. They were not selfish or self-concerned or self-obsessed, but rather their love of God and others were prompting their labors. And thirdly, you see there in verse 3, that they, despite suffering and opposition, their hope in God for the future meant that they were enduring. Faith, love, and hope are key components of the gospel and its outworking in a local church. Our work as a local church needs to be produced by faith. So often, we can rely on our skills, our character, our personality, our collective know-how and knowledge 
to do works, and it's necessary at times. But here Paul reminds us that the lifeline of the local church is that their works are produced by faith. To give you a personal example of this, I, I've preached here, I was counting the other day, maybe 50, 40 times now, I think. Every Sunday I do this by faith. I, I, I look at some of you, some of you are asleep, some are awake down here, and I try and preach. And I, tell, I get down and I'm critical of my own sermons, let alone someone else being critical of mine. And I get down and I go, what did that achieve today? But it is by faith. Works produced by faith. Folks, if you're involved in merge or children's ministry here or youth ministry here, what are you doing? You are doing something every week with the kids and children that is by faith, hoping that they will come and trust Jesus. Maybe in your own family life as you bring up your kids, you're by faith producing works so that God will be known in your home and life. And here, this is what Paul is saying. These Christians, these young believers in the Lord Jesus were producing works by faith, by trusting God. But also our labors need to be prompted by love. There is nothing as bad, is there, as doing something out of cold duty. It eventually will turn you bitter, resentful, and it'll make you seek your rights. But rather, our love for others prompts us to labor for the Lord. And then lastly, hope and endurance. Many athletes know exactly what endurance is like. Hands up if you did the Belfast Marathon in any shape or form last week. Walked it, crawled it, limped over the line. Yeah, there's a few of you, I can see a few of you ashamed to go. <laughs> yeah, I did it. And you know what? Endurance is part of that, isn't it? Mile after mile you go, the heat, mile after mile, keeping going, keeping going. But what is the hope? The hope is that you'll finish the race. The hope is that the reward's at the end, and hope will get you there. Biblical hope gives endurance. It keeps us going. It is always linked to hope. And for the Christian church, our hope is in the reality that God's Son is coming back. That is not wishful thinking or something like, I hope this weather keeps going, but rather it is based on His promises. He promises to come back and so that, so that hope and endurance are linked because of what he says. Folks, it won't always be like this. He's coming back. It won't always be this hard in your situation or life because he's coming back. It won't all, we won't always have to endure brokenness, sinfulness, death, and decay because he's coming back. And that's why Paul links faith, love, and hope. Hope and endurance are linked together. They are gospel virtues, as they were. But when they're absent in a person's life or in a church life, you've unbelief, you've coldness and darkness. That is what prevails. And for those who were converted here in Thessalonica, these were evident. They were showing themselves because the gospel is powerful. And Paul says at the end of verse 4, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How did Paul know that? Because of faith, love, and hope being evident in their life. And then Paul takes us to verses 5 to 8. Follow with me as we look through how this gospel came. Thessalonians were reminded by Paul how they received the gospel when it came. And you see in verse 5, when the gospel came, it came with words. St. Francis of Assisi is supposed to have said these famous lines, but there's no source for him saying this, but he, he's, a, he's accredited with it. It says this, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. You've heard that before. Would Paul agree with this? 
because we see in verse 5 that Paul's preaching contained words. And social action ministries of mercy are wonderful. They are part of the proclamation of God's gospel. But also, at some point, the gospel needs to be spoken in words. And that is what Paul reminds us. The gospel came to you, folk, in Thessalonica with words. And Paul preached the gospel using words so that they could simple, they could understand and respond to it. But you see it in verse 5, that it wasn't simply with words, but also with power. And this is the internal work of the Holy Spirit. As the gospel is preached and shared with others, John Stott says this, it is only by His power, the Spirit's power, that the Word can permeate people's minds, hearts, and conscience, and whole being and will. What a great reminder to us this morning, that as we share Jesus with others, as we hear the gospel proclaimed, that as we think about our words, and it's important to think about how, what our language, but even if we're not the most clever or the most eloquent, or even if we can't fumble over a gospel message, you know what this reminder is? It's a reminder that we're dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit to bring the words of God with power. That is why Paul says they come simply not with words, but with the Spirit, with power. Listen to how Paul puts it when he came to Corinth. He said this, I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's. The gospel came with words. It came with power. And then you'll see in verse 5, it came with deep conviction. Paul believed the message he preached. He believed it could change our lives because it had changed his own. And God's Spirit brings deep conviction on these Thessalonian Christians to make it relevant, true, and compel them to respond to it. Folks, what a great prayer to pray this week. Lord, as your gospel is made known, may it come with words, may it come with power, may it come with deep conviction for your glory and honor. Folks, why not pray that for your family, for your friends? Pray that tomorrow as you head out to school or work or join with family and friends. This gospel is powerful. And if the gospel opportunities arise, we see an outpouring of what it looks like in their lives as well. Have a look at the next part. It says this, the Thessalonians became imitators. Do you see it? Of Paul and the Lord. Sometimes in, in our house uh, at home around the dinner table, we, we will try and take off certain accents, all right? We've become very good at Cork accents, all right? There's a very famous line that says this, Gage buds, I do do, how do you skins and all, do they choke you? Not at all. Our kids, if you ask them, they'll take it off pretty well. The Dublin accent we're getting better with. There are some accents I couldn't repeat here because you'll call me a racist if I took it off. <laughs> But that's what we're doing. What are we doing? We're imitating, aren't we? We're trying to take off what is happening in a, an accent or a person. And here in Thessalonica, Paul and his companions were bringing the gospel to these people, and they became imitators, started to copy them, their way of life, follow their teaching, perhaps pray like them, and they become imitators of Paul and the Lord. And if you've ever had the privilege 
of bringing someone to faith or you've been with young Christians, they will look to you as their example. They will listen carefully to your language, how you pray, how you model the Christian life, how you, they will watch you. And Paul says here, you became imitators of us and the Lord. And these young converts had done that. And Paul is not afraid to be their example. I think that's quite a challenge, isn't it? What a challenge to all of us, particularly those in leadership here in the church, even in our own home. Will the next generation be imitators of us and the Lord in how they see a disciple of Jesus living out the gospel? When I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking about my own family, and part of me brought me to a point going, look, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way that I've acted in front of our kids and my wife. It's not an imitation I want to be displaying. Lord, please change me. Please show me that this gospel. What about all of us? The next generation looks to the next generation. Paul could say they became imitators. What an influence. And in spite of severe opposition, they became imitators of Paul and the gospel. But that wasn't all. It says in verse 6 that they welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. They welcomed the good news of Jesus with joy, one of the fruits of the Spirit. And again, if you've ever encountered people for the first time who've come to know Jesus, what is, the, what is the trademark? It is oftentimes joy. They are overwhelmed that they've come to know a Savior who can forgive them, and it is a fruit of the living Spirit in them. And then Paul says to them, they became models. Do you see it there? Models for all the believers. We've plenty of models in society today, don't we, of footballers, celebrities, who are portraying a particular lifestyle, a particular way. These young converts, new in the faith, had become a model to other believers. Models of what it was to have joy despite opposition. Models of what it is to receive the gospel and allow it to deeply impact their lives. This model principle here. And it made me ask as I was thinking about this, have we got models today? Do we have models? Are we reluctant to be a model of the gospel? Because we're, we don't want to fall. We're sinful people. But here these young believers became a model to others. And Paul is encouraged. He's thankful. And in verse 8, do you see what happens? The Lord's message rang out from them. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Two things. The Lord's message rang out from them. And their faith became known everywhere. This idea of rang out, of ringing out, is a bit like this. Every Sunday morning in Bangor, in the Church of Ireland, just up the road from us, uh, 9.55 a.m., the bell goes off. You can't avoid it. It comes down the road. I'm normally shaving at that time, and I'm going, I've got 10 minutes to get out of here. And you hear the bells ringing out across Bangor from this church. It rings. The noise, it echoes down the street. If you're going for a walk, you can't miss it. It rings out. And that is the idea here that Paul is using when he says, the message of God rang out from these folk. Even though they were only young in the faith, it was, it was everywhere, unavoidable, unmissable. And their faith in God became known everywhere. Today, when we generally talk about hearing about churches, what do we hear? We hear that they have good worship. We hear they have a trendy, hip, young pastor. I'm pretty jealous about that, by the way. <laughs> or you hear that they have huge numbers. You know, there's 500 going to that church down the road. Or we hear they have lots of young folk in that church. Or we hear about their lovely new building. Do you see that in Thessalonica? No. 
It's not what you hear about them. What do you hear about them? The message ringing out from them and their faith in God known everywhere. Their newly found faith in God was making deep inroads in their lives, impacting them so much, changing them. And this faith in God, despite opposition and suffering, was becoming known. All trademarks of a healthy gospel church. These are what the gospel does. It is powerful to change people. This is the impact of what it looks like. And folks, I've seen this, elements of this over the past years I've worked here in Bloomfield. But oh, do we desire more of it? Do we desire to be a people where the good news of Jesus is ringing out from us into this community, into this city, into this nation, into this island? Because this is what God can do. We don't want to become known for big numbers. We want to become known for the message ringing out, for our faith in God, for our labor prompted by love, for our works produced by faith, by our hope and endurance. John Stott says this, no church can spread the gospel with any degree of integrity, let alone credibility, unless it has been visibly changed by the gospel it preaches. Folks, is that what we desire as a church? To have not just know the gospel, to say that we're gospel people, but to allow it to impact us. And lastly and briefly this morning, we come to verses 9 and 10, to what John Stott refers to as Paul's three-part analysis of Christian conversion. If you want to see what Christian conversion is, if you want to see the gospel explained in three simple steps here, yet they are profound, look at verses 9 and 10. Because Paul says, this is what happened to the Thessalonians. They firstly turned to God from idols. When we think of idols, we often think of statues that people may worship or pay homage to, and you get that in some parts of the world. But an idol demands our allegiance, which is only due to God alone. Those idols promise things. They demand our affection, our loyalty, our hopes, our dreams. And when we give ourselves over to an idol or idols, it ends up promising, over-promising. It becomes dead, false, and empty. And to put it bluntly, to use Calvin's words, he often talked about this, that we are idle, our hearts are idle factories, that we're producing idols constantly, that we're given to idols. These idols differ for each of us. Some of us, it may be money or power or pleasure, sex, freedom. It could be achievement, relationship, just the accumulation of stuff. We give ourselves over to it. Idol loving is what the Thessalonians were into too. But when they heard the gospel, their hearts were turned from idols to God. Think about that for a moment. This is what the gospel can do. It can take us from idols, things that have captured our hearts, and it can turn us to God. Is that possible? For some of us here this morning, some of our idols are so embracing, so trapping, so big that you think, I can never get out of this. I can never be turned or changed. We could never be free of them. And yet the gospel can come with power and conviction and joy and turn our hearts to God. But it just doesn't turn our hearts to God. See the second part? It turns us to serve the living and true God. What a contrast here. Idols which are dead and false, yet God is living and true. What a contrast that we serve idols, but now for those who have been impacted by the gospel, they're serving the living and true God. When the gospel turns us to God and it helps us to serve him, and we're doing that. When we're doing that, we're doing what we were made for. 
in our workplace, our home, our community, in the area we live in. These Thessalonian Christians were now serving the living and true God. And lastly, we see that they turned to God, they served him, and lastly, they wait for the sun from heaven. John Stott again says, serving and waiting go together in the experience of converted people. The converted person is serving God, but he's also waiting for Jesus' return. The return of Jesus, as you will see in this letter, is a predominant theme in this letter. We're reminded that Jesus is coming again, and for those who are his, they are waiting, already forgiven of their sins, but now waiting for Jesus, who was raised from the dead, who will rescue them from the coming wrath. Some of our older folk in this church have been asking me about the final judgment and the wrath to come. Folks, here's what we're waiting for. Jesus will come. There will be a judgment to answer. But you know what? He rescues us from the coming wrath, from his final judgment, because we are in God. Folks, this morning we see in 1 Thessalonians the power of the gospel, for it is a powerful gospel that can change people. This is what it looks like. It is the same gospel which can come with words, power, deep conviction, and joy today. It's the same gospel that can ring out, and it's the same gospel that can turn people like you and I from idols to serve God and to wait for him. And may this week remind you afresh of the power of the gospel for our own lives and for those that we meet this week for God's glory and honor. Let me pray. Father, this morning we confess that we don't believe too often, Lord, that this gospel can make such an impact. Yeah, we've accepted it, we've come to know Jesus, but Lord, we're lacking that kind of deep impact that it makes in all of our life for the rest of our days. Father, forgive us. And thank you this morning for reminding us of how you can work powerfully through the good news of Jesus to transform these people's lives, their city, and this church. Lord, they became models. The message rang out from them. They were serving and waiting for you. And Father, we thank you that you can do the same for us today, that you can make us your own, that, Lord, you can help us to turn from idols to the living and true God to serve him alone. Lord, we pray, give us confidence in this message for ourselves and give us confidence that this message can impact family and friends and work colleagues. Lord, we thank you for the help of your Holy Spirit who opens blind eyes, who brings the word with deep power and conviction. And we pray this week, show us the good news of Jesus powerfully in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.